Hello. Good Hello, everybody. Dr. I. How you doing, Dr. Joe? I am good on this last Saturday in Women's History Month as we record this. And we are going to have two very important black women here today. That's right, as we have all month. And, you know, we, we celebrated Black History Month, of course, in February. And now we're ending Women's History Month. And I would like to convince myself that those types of celebrations are no longer needed because only once a year do we acknowledge the contributions of, of African Americans and of people of color and of women. I'd like to believe that we just use these months to celebrate what we study all year long and what we appreciate all year long. And so as soon as I begin to try to feel that in my spirit, then all of a sudden something happens to make me question the extent to which we still need to be valued. As we record this, we've just finished a week of testimony of Judge Katanji Brown Jackson for the U.S. Supreme Court. And there's not much to say that hasn't already been said in commentary throughout the week, except that we as three black women are sitting here in the studio looking at each other with another one on the phone, just going on this 24-7 Christian station, Lord, Lord, Lord. Mm -hmm. Lord, 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 there, there have been um, Congress people, senators, who will be voting on her confirmation in a week. And we, we, we know that that's done along partisan lines, just to be honest. But I, I do appreciate the honesty of those who have said, I will not vote for her, even though she is extraordinarily qualified, more qualified than anyone on the court, as opposed to have those who have been disingenuous enough to say, well, she's just not qualified. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know how you make that case. I think the case that's made, and, and I won't spend much more time on this because we're all getting worked up and we're trying to calm down, but the case that's been made is we always used to say that certain ones of us had to be twice as good. Mm -hmm. No, we have to be about 20 times as good mm -hmm. to even get a seat at the table. Mm. And you know, that's a good int intro to talk about the women we have here today. Absolutely. For, from my perspective, um, I was one of very few black women in banking 30 years ago, 25 years ago. And I had the pleasure of being able to work with women in the community, women, black women that were in different positions. And the two ladies that are here today um, were always, in, um, in my world, were on a pedestal. I looked up to them. Um, anybody that understood accounting, Greta, I salute you, because I, I, God brought me through the accounting okay. classes. <laughs> I never understood it. I always tried to make it, make some kind of value judgment about accounting and debits and credits. I never got it, and so I admired anybody that understood it. And then my dear friend Maud, who just seemed like she just never let anybody ruffle her feathers never they could say anything they could do anything she was classy the whole time and in in my role at the bank sometimes i lost it when i had to deal with uh things that were clearly unfair clearly ridiculous um so i'm just excited that um these two queens are here today 
I am as well. And so let's get started with our discussion. We couldn't even, we usually come up with a, a theme for our show, and we couldn't even decide what theme to put on. Because they could have anywhere. Right, other than a lifetime of service, because that's absolutely what they represent in their personal lives and their professional lives. So we're going we're gonna to start talking to them one at a time just to be sure that mm-hmm. we get a chance to hear their stories completely and then engage them both in a dialogue. So do you want to introduce Maud Hill, the Senior Vice President of Community and Government Relations for Homeport? Maud, are you there? Yes, I am. I am so glad that you're there, Maud. I know that you've got some challenges health-wise today, so we are just grateful and thankful that you thought enough of us to come and, and let us hear your voice today. Absolutely. How did you end up... In, in so deep into the community. How did that happen? I think that started a long time ago. Uh, I grew up, my grandparents raised me in Hello? I, yes, I'm here. Oh. My grandparents raised me in rural Alabama. Is it cu- cutting off? Yes, it is. Oh. Keep Just talking. keep talking. Is that better? Okay. Okay. My grandparents raised me in rural Alabama, and my grandmother was uh, very involved in the uh, Methodist uh, church. And so my grandmother did missionary work, and I guess I was about five years old. And uh, so we had to go into the community when people were sick, uh, there were a group of women that had to go and, and wash if the people needed uh, uh, their clothes to be washed and to cook and do those types of things. So I was always around helping, and that's how I grew up. And I continue to, to do that uh, because it's embraced in me. And so now you're an inductee into the City of Columbus Hall of Fame. What happened between then and now for you to have such a, a stellar role in the Central Ohio community? And of course, our listeners are all around the country and they have similar heroes and sheroes in their area as well. What brought you to the City of Columbus? Well, first off, I don't ever want to be a hero or shero. <laughs> um, I'm a religious person. And I believe that God's work is is first. Well, you're a she wrote us. <laughs> so you don't you don't get to choose that. We choose that. Okay. So if my understanding is correct, you you had a uh, happy and successful life in one part of Ohio, and then you ended up in Central Ohio as a supportive spouse. Is that correct? So that is so correct. Uh, I was being a, a dutiful wife, uh, following my husband uh, as he uh, was appointed a post in Governor Celeste's uh, cabinet. And so we moved here to Columbus. It was a struggle uh, for me to uh, get up and, and leave Cleveland because I had a lot of roots there. And not only did I have roots, but family. And I was working for the city of community relations and so long uh, standing relationships so that was a very hard decision but being a Christian as I believe I am I knew that was my responsibility 
is to go where my husband uh, went. And that's what happened. And here we are in Columbus. And I'm happy that I'm here uh, in Columbus uh, because I think, and I love Cleveland and everybody know I do, I think there is no community in the country that has the passion that is here in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, I don't care where you start, there are people always with a willing hand, whether it's in in politics, it's in religion, it's in uh, community leadership, there's always a hand out there willing to help someone. And I just love um, being a part of that. And I'm so glad that I did follow my husband and come to Columbus. Now, we read your your wonderful title for Homeport, but given that you said your role is first and foremost to serve, tell us what Homeport is and how you and Homeport serve the community. Homeport is a real estate development corporation that develops housing for uh, low-income working families and individuals. It's one of the greatest companies that you ever get an opportunity to work for. Uh, my love, my heart, my passion, my everything is there uh, because it gives um, uh, in to those who are less fortunate. And so we develop uh, affordable housing for rent and for sale. And the good news is we had a lot of um, founders who had the passion to want to see a change here in Columbus, Ohio like um, Mr. Irvin Scheinstein, uh, Bob Scheinstein's dad, like a Don Kelly, like a Robert Weiler, Columbus Foundation, our religious leaders, and people in the community and the city of Columbus. So that's how Homeport was founded. Dick Celeste uh, had someone in his cabinet who was from uh, the Washington, D.C. area, and had worked there then, the African-American mayor of SMO, um, back in the 80s. And the, uh, they were working in Sandtown, Winchester, Maryland, and had heard about James Rouse. James Rouse, uh, Dick, take a look at our housing stock as it began to age. And uh, from that, the Columbus Foundation took the lead with uh, some of these community leaders that I just mentioned, and they put their heads together and said, yes, we do want Enterprise Foundation to come to Columbus. And so at that time, Mr. Rouse uh, said, well, if we're going to come, you need to raise a million dollars. I wasn't with Homeport at the time, but it's my understanding that this community raised that million dollars in less than a month. And here we are. So we will be celebrating in October our 35th anniversary. And I just celebrated 33 years with Homeport. Mm. It has been a great ride and a great journey. There's lots of things that I've learned, uh, lots of things I learned to do, and lots of things I learned not to do. Now, you are a black woman. Was that an advantage or a disadvantage in your role at Homeport? Well, I think at the time that I had, I, I, it's 
certainly was a huge advantage of being a black woman coming from Cleveland and with my background and my husband's background because everybody knew Baxter Hill knew that he was not a, a pushover. And so I think I gained a lot of respect there, too, uh, from this community uh, uh, because of my husband's role that he had played in the civil rights movement and had played in Cleveland. Jerry Hammond and people like that reached out to help me because of who my husband was. Have the type of struggle that uh, most newcomers have coming into a new community uh, because I think uh, our work preceded us before we got here. Uh, and as we worked through the Celeste administration, that too helped me because many of the people had left that administration and went to private sector. And so we, we hear a lot today in this economy about the housing market, mostly from the perspective of people who are trying to buy and sell and rent and, and, and really struggling with the rising cost of housing. But the market you serve has very unique housing challenges. Tell us about them. Well, uh, there are a couple of things. Uh, because now, when I came, uh, rent and everything was just wonderful, the, the cost of rent. But now things have really um, uh, gotten out of control, if you ask me, for my opinion. And uh, so a person who wants a two-bedroom apartment needs to make $19.83. And the average two-bedroom apartment rents for anywhere from $1,200 to $1,500 a month. And so the majority of the people that we are working with are not that income person. Uh, the average um, income um, that we have is about twenty-three to $26,000 uh, for a family of four. And we know that that is very low uh, income for someone to survive with the cost of living is at what it is today. And so Homeport is able to provide affordable housing because of all of the um, financial uh, connections uh, that we put together so that we can write the cost down uh, so that people could have a safe, decent, affordable place to live. And uh, that's where the joy comes in my heart uh, because we um, house perhaps more than 68% of African-American female head of household. Say that statistic again. That's pretty amazing. About 68% of the um, families who live with us are single moms, head of household. Uh, while we have a very diverse uh, community of people who live with us, but the majority of African-American females. And so it would seem that obviously finding safe, affordable housing is one of the most fundamental needs that your clients have. Beyond that, do you partner with other organizations to help address some of the other issues then that's needed to, to, to keep them moving forward in a positive trajectory? Absolutely. Uh, with every social agency that it is out there, um, again, Homeport was uh, founded 
on the shared belief that everyone should have a safe, decent, affordable home. And what uh, our creators was doing at that time, they wanted to ensure that we did holistic housing, unlike many of the affordable housing developers. And so what we do with that holistic housing, we link services to that housing. And so we have uh, on staff workers, certified social workers, who works with our families to get them connected to the needed services that they need. Because uh, James Rouse's uh, belief was that, that everyone should have a safe, decent, affordable housing. But what ought to be can be. So another statistic that I find to be overwhelming to me is one that's made by the current mayor of the city of Columbus. Again, as you were inducted to the city of Columbus Hall of Fame, he said Maud Hill has impacted the lives of thousands of Central Ohio residents by helping them access a safe, reliable place to call home. And I know, especially for our listeners, oftentimes we do what we do in the course of a day and we don't step back and think about the impact that it has on others. But certainly what a life will live to be able to say you've impacted the lives of thousands of human beings by the work that you do. Yes, uh, and I uh, was able and is able to help people and to help um, our organization to look at giving folks a second chance. And that's one of the things that we do. We want to enhance those lives of people who live with us as well as open a door or a pathway for those who may have fallen by the wayside. And Iris, I know that uh, best because I have struggled. At Once upon a time before I met Baxter, I had six children. I now have seven children. I had six children, and I was on welfare, and I struggled. So I know what it is to struggle. I know what it is to work two jobs. I know what it is to want your children in a safe uh, community and good schools. Uh, Because um, I was a single mom working, but I always had an angel, someone out there looking out for me. And so I was able to connect with... um, people um, in the welfare rights movement that got me started, I was able to find wonderful housing. I was able to move to Cleveland Heights and get my children into private school um, because someone else had the same attitude that I had, and I'm so thankful. And if you don't mind, I'd I'd like to tell this little... um, sidebar story. I was doing um, day work in Cleveland, and so my grandfather always taught us to work hard, always taught us to tell the truth. And so I uh, worked for uh, this woman in Cleveland Heights, and so I got done with my job. Keep going. I could do two houses um, in one day, so you always got car fare and the day's work. And so in doing that, there was a, a Presbyterian church at the corner of Coventry um, in Cleveland Heights. And so I would go in there uh, 
because on Thursday they would have a Goodwill kind of sale. And so I'd go in there and get a grab bag, you know, for a dollar. You never knew what you was going to get. But the hopes was that you get something nice. And I continued to go in there. And these women um, decided that, mm-mm, this lady is serious business. So what they did, they stopped giving me a grab bag, and they would have this uh, trash bag of uh, stuff under the table. And they said, oh, no, ma'am, you come over here. And it got to the place where that bag grew. I couldn't get on the bus. Take me home. It's those kinds of people that makes a difference in your life. And that's what I was saying about this community here in Columbus, that if you show effort, there are many folks out there to help you. And that's what I believe. I believe that every child should have a good education, and especially black folks, um, because that's the economic gap that holds us back. So education is very important to me um, in helping our families to uh, have environment for their kids to study uh, after school. So we have after school uh, programs. We have summer programs so that our children don't have a learning loss in the summertime. And we work to empower our families uh, from the children's all the way through the parents. We have community centers that is outfitted with uh, computers. So if mom needs to go online and put in an application, she can do so. If mom needs to write a resume. Are you there? That we provide. And I, I get really excited about those types of things. Now you say you've been in housing for 30 years? Uh, 33 years uh, this past March. I have been with uh, Homeport 33 years. Uh, we've got to take a break, but there has to be a story to your existence at Homeport for 33 years. And we need to hear about that when we come back from the break on the window. We're back, and I have been sitting here thinking about the way the world has changed over the last 33 years. And certainly in housing, it's changed over the last 33 years. And the role for black women in the community has changed over the last 33 years. Um, We have about five more minutes to try to uh, capture the lessons that you have learned over the last three decades being in the housing industry, which is an industry that is very closely connected to the human spirit. So are there some lessons that you would like to share with the community about what you've learned from being in the housing industry uh, that have kept you going all this time? The one thing that keeps me going uh, and has kept me going all of this time is to ensure that everyone has 
who needs it have a safe, decent, affordable house uh, home. And um, there are many things that goes with that. And so Homeport uh, and other developers who are bringing affordable housing struggle in this community uh, because people are not educated around what affordable housing is. Uh, they think that it's something that is going to cause harm to their community when in fact it isn't. We build housing just like... Keep going. Good quality um, housing. And the only difference in our housing and market rate housing, yes, there may be a few um, different bells and whistles, but we have the same materials and things. And the only thing that we bring different is the financial structure affordable housing. We build all over, and um, Homeport has been able to build uh, in suburban communities. Uh, the good news about Columbus, it has the wind districts where you can live in the city of Columbus, yet uh, it is annexed into a suburban school system. And uh, our residents is fortunate enough uh, because we're in five different school systems. We're in Hilliard, Southwest, Pickerington. Uh, um, we're in, um, so that's, that's four, right? And, and the fifth one is Cadell Winchester. Uh, we are doing developments in Easton, Reynoldsburg, Grove City, Whitehall. In all of the surround areas, we are reaching out to, uh, to attempt to do development. But one of the, um, Challenges that we face is zoning. Zoning, what kind of barriers are you facing? Those, those are the barriers that we face uh, is dealing with zoning. Uh, zoning um, has not, um, a compliance have not changed in over 50 years. And so um, we are working, the, the city as well as the community is working to, to book at how zoning was caused back then and how can we improve it because more affordable housing is needed in our community. And as the cost of living goes up, we're going to need more dollars for affordable housing so that folks can uh, continue to live in safe, decent, affordable housing. And that is also a betterment for our communities uh, because a lot of um, the housing stock that we have has aged, and um, so it's a different use of housing uh, needs than it was back some 25, even 30 years ago. And so uh, we want to be able to provide our families and individuals with the same quality of life that everyone else has. So am I hearing that there's a political uh aspect that you have to deal with to get these houses built? Absolutely it is. And from, from the financing aspect all the way to zoning uh, to uh, production, uh, yes, uh, there, there is. Uh, but we have a lot of good people, a lot of good legislators who are sensitive and who has passion and is trying to uh, make a difference um, as they go forward 
with some of the legislative laws. And so, um, again, that shows Columbus community up, and it, it shows that we're doing great things here. Um, not to say other communities out there in the state of Ohio isn't, but Columbus is a great community to live uh, in. And so we've had uh, great opportunities through our, our legislators, um, Mayor Coleman, uh, Mayor Ginther. They have done a tremendous job both in the community uh, with housing and uh, changing um, how the community looks. I'm ecstatic about a 100-unit uh, development that we're doing in downtown Linden. And so the city really stepped out there uh, with, um, with us and Boy Saffold's um, group uh, next gen. And so 100 seniors is going to be living in good quality affordable housing in downtown Linden, and that is at the corner of uh, Myrtle and uh, Cleveland Avenue. And so those are the kinds of things that give me a rush and wakes me up um, thrilled to go to work the next day. That's good news. That's really good news. Um, what can we do? Well, I think that one of the things, you're doing it already. I think uh, the more folks that you get on your show to talk about affordable housing, to talk about some of those needs uh, that we're struggling with, that would be really great. And also to stay on top of um, our legislators um, so that we can uh, have the dollars set aside, so that we can uh, change zoning and those types of things. Um, those are things that you can do because you have a voice uh, with radio uh, talk show. So, Maud, you've helped so many people um, during your life, and that's why we asked you to be a guest on our final week of celebrating Women's History Month. But hopefully you realize that you've impacted even more lives here today by sharing your story of not only what you've done when you've been at the top in your current role as a senior executive for Homeport, but how you started out. You've inspired someone today to begin today to live their life of service no matter what their situation might be. And so we thank you for joining us today. We invite you to stay on the line as we bring on our next guest who always also has a lifetime of service, but we really appreciate you and congratulations. Thank you so very much, and yes, I will stay on the line. To all of our listeners who might just be tuning in, again, we're celebrating Women's History Month. If you've missed the first part of the show or any of our 50th previous shows as we celebrate our first year on the air at The Window, you can go to our website, thewindownow.com, thewindownow.com, or you can send us feedback before, during, and after the show at our Gmail account, the window feedback at gmail.com. Our next guest, Iris mentioned at the beginning that our guest has a, a, a knack for numbers, which is what Dr. I and I both lack, but mm -hmm. there's so much more that she's turned that career into. We rarely read verbatim the bios of our guests, 
because it could take a whole show, whether our guests are a community activist or a homemaker or a professional. But I don't know anything that better exemplifies the lifetime of service of Greta Russell than if, if I just read you a little bit about what she's done. And keep in mind that she started out as a non-traditional person in a non-traditional field. So this makes this even more remarkable. She recently retired, and some of our guests just don't know the meaning of retirement. I'm going to show people what retirement means when I get to that point. She recently retired as the controller of The Ohio State University, one of the largest universities in the country, the top financial job, where she directed the university's divisions of accounting, accounts payable, payroll, cost allocation, financial training and documentation, systems development, tax, asset management, equipment surplus and travel. <sighs> she got that job after serving as the former comptroller for the Ohio State Treasurer's Office. And what makes that most notable is that if memory serves me correctly, the state treasurer who she worked for went on to be the state treasurer of the United States under the Clinton administration. If that's not enough, the coveted corporate boards. She serves on the board of Medical Mutual of Ohio and also the Columbus Franklin County Finance Authority. She has more news to come in her future about board servants. And if that's not enough, she completed a seven-year term on the Accountancy Board of Ohio. She's not going to have enough time to talk in a minute, all right? She's been national president of nonprofit organizations. We'll talk about that. But she's also a two-term holder of the national president role of the National Association of Black Accountants. You're probably not surprised to know that her bio has a whole list of acknowledgments for that, including a Doctorate of Community Leadership Award from Franklin University, Dr. Russell. She's a CPA. That in and of itself, for those of you who have sat for the CPA exam or any other professional exam, know that should have been exhausting. She graduated magna cum laude from Ohio Dominican College, received a massive taxation. Can we just sign off and, now and take and a nap? <laughs> you single mom, too. Yeah. She's a single mom. So, Greta Russell, thank you. And what gave you the nerve to think that you could succeed in accounting many years ago yeah. when there weren't that many women, much less black Didn't women, Didn't know what accounting field? was, just uh, arithmetic. Well, well, first, thank you, Dr. I and Dr. Joe, for having me on today. Uh -huh. It's certainly a pleasure for me to be here. Um, you know, I, I never thought about going into accounting. I didn't know what accounting was. Well, and most of us didn't. We didn't see that in our neighborhoods. But I went to, uh, I was working out at DCSC. And that's a federal facility for right. the Federal Logistics Agency. And um, my boss's uh, administrative assistant got promoted, and he didn't have anybody to do his reports. And he came to me and said, uh, Can you do my reports? And I said, sure. And I did the report, and he came back, and he said, this is wrong. Well, no, it's not wrong. He said, this percentage is not right. And I'm going, no, this is fifth grade math. <laughs> this is what <laughs> we learned in the fifth grade. <laughs> this is how you do percentages. And so uh -huh, from that point, he thought I was a mathematical genius. <laughs> I'm going, okay, this is fifth grade math. And so uh -huh, later on, and uh, what you know, and listening to Maud on the uh, top uh, on the air, it's about relationships. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, if you look all through her story, uh, it's relationship driven. And so what happened, 
um, I took a break to uh, have um, um, my second son. And my husband said, you, you don't need to go back to work. And I'm going, okay, well, let me uh, just get that unemployment. <laughs> and they said, oh, there's a job over here that you qualify for. So why don't you go get a job? You don't need unemployment. So I, uh-huh. what happened is my previous boss knew this man, mm-hmm. and he called up to get a reference, and he said, oh, she didn't need that job. She needs to go into accounting because she's a mathematical <laughs> genius. <laughs> how did I get? So that's how I got into accounting is doing fifth grade math, okay? Uh, someone thought, oh, boy, she is a mathematical genius. And so from that, um, serving in the accounting department and seeing auditors come in and I'm preparing the worksheets and the uh, journals for them but they're getting paid <laughs> I mean, uh, they're accountants and so I thought this is a field that because what I saw was only one female with all the males but I'm going that seems to be a industry or a profession that I think that I would be good at so that's how I got into because uh, somebody thought I could do fifth grade math and I was a mathematical genius mm-hmm. okay. and, and so so you said a number of things to build on one being that just as with Maud you just went about your day-to-day business of being who you are and doing your best and didn't realize that that was breaking glass ceilings which you've obviously done so you were a first so many times what does it what does it feel like to be a first and, and what would you suggest to others who now find themselves in that position well I think like Maud I, I went into something that I really enjoyed and uh, and listening to her she has such a passion uh, for what she does and and so uh, even though you're the first if you like what you do okay then uh, certainly um, going home at night and and one of the things that you had to adjust to or set your mind to was the fact that I like what I do and so uh, while uh, there may be haters there may be obstacles there may be challenges but you are who you are and remember that that I am and I like what I do and so even though I didn't get everything that I wanted okay and some people go oh I'm not gonna do that anymore because I didn't get what I want but I had to come to the realization this is what makes me happy and I work this way because it makes me happy and I can go home at night and feel like that I've done uh, a job so being first it doesn't matter if you haven't brought someone else behind you. What does you're not successful if you're uh, the only one. Okay? So it uh, certainly allowed you the opportunity to bring more uh, individuals into uh, that profession or that uh, entity. I think when uh, the jobs that I had, if uh, if I didn't bring any more with me it wasn't a success. So being first means that uh, you have the opportunity uh, to help someone else. We're going to talk more with glass ceiling breaker Greta Russell 
when we come back on our Women's History Month celebration on the window. We're back on the window celebrating Women's History Month by celebrating lifetimes of service of people like our second guest for today, Dr. Greta Russell, who has been a groundbreaker in the field of accounting for women and African-American women as well. I've had the pleasure of knowing Greta for quite some time, and she has breathed words of wisdom into me that I'd like to share with others and ask her to elaborate on that. But during the break, we were laughing. I forgot about one of the main pieces of advice she gave me for those of us who are mothers of sons, to always be nice to your daughters-in-law because you, you just don't know the extent to which you're going to have to depend on them. I won't make that gender specific. If you have children, always be nice to their their life partners because they might become your life caregivers at some point. But I remember one thing she told me when we, we actually interviewed her for a colleague of mine who was writing and is still planning to write a book called Sister You Ain't Got My Back. And we were talking to Greta about what it means to have another woman's back in, in the professional world. And I, I remember Greta saying that she believed women had advanced to positions in which they could mentor other women. And as she said before the break, uh, she feels that's her obligation as a first, but that it's challenging for women to advocate for other women still. What, what do you mean by that? Is that still the case? Yes. No, I think the younger generation does it probably a little better, but I think that when women become in a position to be able to help, that, like you said, you, you may be the first, and so you're kind of hesitant because uh, a lot of uh, organizations are relationship-driven, okay? and there are more males and so uh, where you find yourself is, and I know a, a, several women in our community that have reached back. You reach back and help uh, another uh, woman. And then um, what you find yourself in is you get labeled. Okay? And so you, it, it's a little fine line, uh -huh, but I think we have to do it. And a lot of women that you want to help really don't want your help okay? mm -hmm. uh, because they are on a different uh, path that you uh, are on and they feel like well if I go over here that's not where I want to be so you have to be somewhat careful and not just with other women but anyone that you uh, are wanting to help you have to make sure it's not your agenda but mm -hmm. their agenda and so uh, sometimes that becomes blurred Mm -hmm. as you uh, are trying to help because you're going, okay, I want you to go here. But uh, so not so much for the other person, but for the person yourself that you're trying to help, you got to make sure that you are uh, reaching out to their needs and where they want to go. How did you find mentors since you were a trailblazer in so much of what you did? Uh, I, th I think that... Um, when I think about a mentor, mentor, 
it's about helping you learn the culture. I'm sure, Dr. I, when you were at the bank, you uh, had a number of uh, young people come through that you want to help, and, and you say, well, uh -huh, this is how you will be successful in this organization. And so uh, I think when I look back at my mentors, it was other colleagues, it was organizations, the National Association of Black Accountants, where I could go and I, I wasn't going to fail because they weren't going to let me fail, okay? Because it was an organization I could learn. I got, uh, we're talking about networking and, and how you meet other people that can help you. I think one of the things that um, helped me and I think is more important is a supporter. I want somebody to call my name when I'm not in the room. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh -huh. When uh -huh, they're talking about uh, what we're going to do, hopefully they say uh -huh, Greta Russell can do that. Mm -hmm. Okay, and I'm not in the room, so I need a mentor, but I need supporters uh, even more because I'm not going to always be in the room. But I mm -hmm. want, uh, and even if it's, it turns out not to be an opportunity for me, at least my name was brought up. So mentor and supporter, uh -huh, although they're different, uh -huh, I think you need both uh -huh, to succeed. Uh, I'll tell you one arena in which your name was mentioned when you were not in the room. So those of us who have worked in nonprofit organizations are always looking for good, dedicated, hard-working volunteers, not just people who want to put boards and committees on their resume. And so whenever we were looking for that kind of person, we would always whisper Greta Russell's name. <laughs> and so, and Greta would come through. Where did you find the time to not only be a member of so many organizations outside of your day job, especially those who needed that number counting expertise, but an active member as well? How did you do that? And what would you recommend to other organizations to find those kind of people? I'm, by the grace of God, <laughs> let me just. Uh, but I think that uh, if I look back at the organizations that uh, I helped, and and I was in a unique position because I was an accountant, and like you said, a lot of people don't want to deal with the numbers, mm -hmm. and so uh, I've probably been tr more treasurers. <laughs> that, yeah, right. Because, uh, uh, oh, there's somebody that understands numbers. Let's get her. So, uh, when you're given such an opportunity, uh, you take advantage. Now, everyone can't do that because uh, they have families. Uh -huh. I mean, I listen to Maude, and I'm going, seven children, mm -hmm. okay? Uh -huh. She's doing good to get up in the morning. I'm telling you. But I think also in my career, it kind of made a turn. When I went from private industry into public, and uh, the uh, state treasurer who I'm, I work for, uh, she was about... Uh, rather get out in the community mm -hmm. uh, and being in the public sector they don't uh, they can't pay you a lot but they allow you uh, to be very active and they want you to be active Ohio State uh, wants you to be active they want the uh, Ohio State to be represented on different boards and uh, so uh, having the opportunity uh, to serve not 
only in my work life, which was in public after I made the turn from private into public, but also the organization that I worked for was were very pleased that I could contribute because it said that Ohio State is out there and um, the state of Ohio is out there in uh, different capacities. And so you not only served in these roles for not-for-profit organizations, but you rose through the ranks. Two terms as president, national president of the National Association of Black Accountants. For, for someone who aspires to do that, that sounds political to me. How did, you, how did you work through that process of becoming a national president of a major organization? I had Joanna's sister. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> Anybody that knows Sue, Sue Williamson. No. <laughs> Thank so, you. Uh, but uh -huh. I think that it does take work and it takes time and not everyone has that kind of time. And it came later in my uh, life. I mean, I was uh, not tw in my 20s. I was in my uh, 30s. Or, uh, and so I had the time. But you've got to start locally. you got to do area. And then you have to uh, do nationally. So it's, it's a long, I think, from the time that I joined uh, the National Association of Black Accountants to the time that I was national president, that was probably a stint of about 11 or 12 years. I mean, you just can't uh-huh now uh-huh your sister uh -huh, was going okay uh and i never uh forget this don't sit in the seat if you're not going to go forward mm -hmm. don't don't uh don't occupy this occupy your seat if you have no aspiration you cannot be uh, a chapter president and not want to uh go further don't take up somebody else's seat, okay? So uh, she taught me that real early, okay? Well, if you can be area vice president, then you can be area president, okay? Don't sit in that seat if you don't have aspiration to go to president. Get out the way and let someone else do it. So, uh, But that 11 or 12 years, uh, it, it takes work. And, and thank you for acknowledging my deceased sister. I One thing that I observed watching you all as a, as a younger person who wanted to be you all when I grew up is that what you're modestly not saying too is that it takes leadership. It takes people wanting to follow you and, and you have a trail of followers still all around the country. Who, who else has Peebo Bryson make a guest appearance at her retirement party? You know, as a guest, you know, walking through the room singing, we were like, that looked like people Bryson to me because she had done so much work for a, for a local cultural organization that they said, how can we, how can we give back to that? The phone started ringing. People started calling people out the city saying, get to Greta Russell's retirement party. It's a real party. And can I just tell you, when she hit the dance floor, which I shouldn't say because she's also very active in the spiritual community of church, but she hit the dance floor, everybody surrounded her. She was a leader in the, in the, in the true oh, sense, not just on the dance floor, but I remember that. Um, in particular. And so we're, we're going to take a, a quick break in a minute before we um, wrap up. But since we're talking about professional organizations and National Association of Black Accountants, and there are a number of very stellar black organizations. But is it important for folks to be involved in organizations that aren't just black, aren't just female? How do you get your a toehold in that? Well, I think that um, any profession has an organization uh, associated with it, and you want to become involved in that. And I used to tell my staff, 
some uh -huh, organizations you want to go to because that's where you can network. And I send you there to meet other people in your area. If I want you to learn something, I'm going to send you to a seminar or a workshop. But a convention, that's there for you to network and meet people across the... And one last thing before I leave. I, um, when I was working for the, the state, uh, I started exercising at the YWCA, which is where I met Dr. I, okay, because she was at the bank. And so we were exercising at noon. And so she said to me, uh -huh. you know, if you want to be involved in the Y, then you need to get yourself on a community. You're not going uh, on a committee. You're not going to get on the board uh -huh, without doing some work. That's what she said to me. And she went about uh, putting me in places to do some work okay, that I ended up uh -huh, serving on the Y board, serving on the Y housing board, and because we were exercising, and she said, uh, this is where you need to go. So I just wanted to acknowledge that. <laughs> and actively serving on those. Is, is it racist to have organizations that are tailored to women and, and to black folks? No, no. Uh, you need uh, to surround yourself with different type of organizations. And when I went to uh, Ohio State, uh, they told me at that point, uh, you don't, there some organizations you don't need to be, even though they're accounting, you don't need to be involved in. You need to be involved in the Big Ten because they have the same problems that you have and they can help you uh, move this university uh, forward. So when you're looking at uh, organization, what best moves you and your entity forward? I said we need to take a break. We're at the end of our hour with our discussion with these wonderful women. One last thing I'm going to ask Greta Russell, and I'm going to thank her and Maud Hill as well for joining us. Greta once said something to me about the jobs that you don't get. Why is it we should be happy about things we don't get if we want to be you when we grow up? Well, uh, like Maud said, I'm a very uh, spiritual person. And so if I don't get it, that means God didn't want me to have it. Mm -hmm. And so I shake the dust off because uh, it will be revealed to me why I didn't get it. I love that. I love that, and that I is so true. That. that is so true. I hope you heard this whole discussion here today. If you did not, show. you can go to our website and hear this show and our 50 past shows over the past year that we have been blessed with at the windownow.com you can send us feedback on this show or any future show at our gmail site the window feedback at gmail.com we need your feedback we do we need your support we're going forward with some pretty exciting adventures ourselves thanks to our listeners and thanks to people like Maud Hill and mm -hmm. Greta Russell who have given up their models. time right throughout Role their models. lives and here today on the window we got more stuff coming up in the future don't we dr yes I? we do and we are thinking outside the box we are looking at what we can do as individuals but as a team and we may call on you again you and maude everybody join us next week 12 noon to 1 p.m eastern time 1580thepraise.com or on our website the window now Dot com or on your favorite podcast station. Subscribe to us at the window. We'll talk to you again soon. Have a good week. <laughs>